I'm Erin O'Hara, Executive Director of the Tennessee Education Research Alliance. And I'm Laura Booker, Executive Director of Research at the Tennessee Department of Education. Welcome to the ninth episode of the 10th period. The 10th period is a podcast designed to bring you up to speed on education research in Tennessee. And each episode, we cover uh, a recent report done by the Tennessee Education Research Alliance or the Tennessee Department of Education. We talk a little bit about uh, what we've learned in that research report. We talk then to some educators on the ground, and we talk a little bit more to uh, folks at the Department of Education about what they think it means to them. And so today, we're going to be talking about professional learning in Tennessee and, and um, importantly, about how educators feel about their professional learning, what they're reporting on the Tennessee Educator Survey. Um, and Laura, tell a little bit about who we're going to be talking to today. So today we're going to have Susan Patrick, who works with uh, the Tennessee Education Research Alliance, or TERA, here at Vanderbilt University. And she's been doing a lot of work looking at the data from the Tennessee Educator Survey around the items that we have on that survey asking about professional learning experiences of teachers. And then following Susan, we're going to have Robin McClellan, who is a supervisor of curriculum and instruction at Sullivan County Schools. And she's going to talk to us a little bit about um, how they're doing professional learning in Sullivan County and how they might be looking at some of the educator survey data to inform um, their approach. Finally, we'll have Elizabeth Alves, uh, who's an assistant commissioner at the Tennessee Department of Education and who has been leading some of the work specifically around thinking about how professional learning relates to curriculum and materials. So, Erin, I do have a question for you before we kick off today with our wonderful group of guests, which since we're talking about professional learning, I thought it would be great if the two of us started off by describing a professional learning experience that was impactful to you. Yeah, I, you know, I was thinking about this. Um, we'll talk about this throughout the course of the podcast, but one of the themes that we've seen um, over time in the in the Tennessee Educator Survey is that educators are saying that things that are tailored to their own experiences are sort of the most helpful professional learning. And for me, in my career, that has been when I have been uh, meeting with folks – and actually, usually specifically outside of the state. So when I worked for the State Department of Education in uh, data and assessment and some of those things, and, and now as the uh, director here of, of Terra, there are other people in other states that are doing similar work to us. And when I am with those people who understand my job the way that few other people can fully understand it is when I think it's most useful. And and so it made me think about teachers, especially when you think about sort of high school teachers in particular, um, who might teach a, a particular subject, especially if you're in like a rural county and there's not somebody else around, that's so important to find other people who are doing similar work to you in order to, uh, in order to really feel like you are understood and know how to progress in your field. I think that's a really nice point. And I also think, you know, it maybe even can be not just high school. When I was teaching second grade in the Mississippi Delta, I got assigned to teach just reading and language. And so I actually was the only second grade teacher of reading and language in my school. And there were actually only two of us in the district. There was oh, wow. one other elementary school. So I think a lot of times with we have um, about 100 districts in Tennessee that serve under 5,000 students. So with that, there's a lot of specialization happening within our districts. Um, uh, I know instructional coaches, there's oftentimes only one instructional coach or one counselor or one social worker in a district. And so the State Department, one place where we have stepped in a little bit more is in some of those positions, trying to orchestrate kind of regional learning opportunities so people get a chance to have more targeted, specialized professional learning um, and to get the opportunity not just to have that specialized learning, but to learn in with other people who are in those role-alike positions. Yeah, I think we'll probably hear a little bit from Elizabeth about those types of things as well. 
And I know um, Robin in Sullivan County, they're doing some of this um, teacher-led work as well. So we'll get some of that. Yeah. Um, So let's go ahead and jump right in. Yeah, that sounds great. Okay, so now we're going to bring in Susan Patrick, who works with us here at Vanderbilt and Tara. And Susan's done a bunch of research with us recently on professional learning, um, specifically taking in uh, some of the comments on the educator survey and doing some analysis there. Susan, welcome to the 10th period. Thanks for having me. So we are we start every interview that we do with a question uh, that's relevant to the particular topic. And so today, as you know, we're talking about professional learning experiences. We'd love to know about um, a professional. Well, first, tell us just a little bit about yourself mm-hmm. and then tell us a little bit about a professional learning experience that you've had that you feel like was a good experience and, and how if it was or wasn't tailored to sort of your own experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, Well, thanks again for having me. Um, I am a former teacher, middle school teacher. I taught English language arts and social studies. And so now researching the experience of teachers makes a lot of sense to me, my former self. I think about my own experiences a lot. Um, And one of the things that stuck out to me about the things that I found both as a teacher and now as a researcher most beneficial is when I'm able to do kind of these close one-on-one collaborations with someone who is more senior than me. Um, I think in particular what helped me, and I'm thinking now about my teaching experience, is when more experienced teachers could kind of make visible like the secret hidden curriculum of teaching, um, talking about their own thought processes, why they did the things they did. And I think that is still very applicable to my work now in research. There's so much that as kind of a new to a field that you just don't know um, that's kind of embedded in the profession. Um, And so when you are able to work closely with someone, especially when you're like creating something together, um, allowing or having an opportunity where they kind of talk you through or make visible those kind of hidden parts of the work is really helpful. That's interesting to hear. I know we have a question on the educator survey that asks Mm -hmm. about time spent on collaboration, since we know that teachers do tend to work in collaboration Mm -hmm. um, as they are preparing for their lessons or just trying to improve on their craft. I'm curious about what else, um, you know, you've been learning Mm -hmm. as you've been diving into the, uh, the data around teachers' professional learning experiences. Tell us about your research. Yeah. So um, a lot of my research focuses on collaboration and particularly thinking about collaboration as something thing that I would argue is now part of the expectation of being a teacher. Um, So there's a very famous book that was written in the 70s called School Teacher by Dan Lordy, and he argues that teaching is a solitary profession um, and that there's kind of this idea of the egg crate classroom where every teacher does their own work in their own classroom with their own students. Um, And based on both my own experience, but also the hundreds of teachers that I've talked to or that um, have researched over the course of my time here, I think that those days are long gone. Um, While there are individual teachers or individual schools where there maybe isn't a culture of collaboration, I would argue that that is now the expectation, um, that teachers are working with one another. And I think teachers want to be working with one another. Um, That's something that, um, you know, through work of going around the state and meeting teachers, that they all talk about something that's really useful to them. Um, Having that time, whether it's more informal, like just going, sticking your head 
in your neighbor's classroom to ask them something, or whether it's kind of more formal, structured collaboration with their grade level team or with their subject area team, that that is kind of now the expectation of teaching, mm-hmm. um, that you're going to engage in that work. Um, and so what's more interesting to me now is not whether teachers are doing that. I think they are. But what is the nature of the work that they're doing with each other um, and better understanding that and digging into that um, to understand kind of what will best support teachers um, in their practice. So, Susan, it's interesting because I actually my own professional experiences I was talking about as well is is when you have a role that is that is sort of more unique. Um, so mm-hmm. for me, that's being in roles at the state level where there's not somebody else in the state who yeah. does that particular work. For a teacher, that might be uh, being at a particular – if you're a high school teacher and there's mm-hmm. sort of a specific – Laura was talking about her own experience as a teacher. Um, tell us a little bit more about what you see – what you've seen um, both in the Instructional Partnership Initiative in mm-hmm. terms of collaboration and then what also you see in the survey. Do you know what kinds of things teachers mm-hmm. are collaborating about? Yeah. So, I mean, it's all the things that you can imagine um, from kind of very instructionally focused collaboration. And so, you know, I think there's many teachers who talked about both reflected in their survey responses and also in qualitative research um, that I've done with teachers around the state of, you know, common lesson planning, um, of working together to create curricular materials, of kind of learning about standards together, pacing guides, you know, all these different um, things that teachers use in their daily practice. And so kind of doing those things collectively as a group. Um, And that can kind of take a couple of different forms. For some teachers, it's really about we have a very difficult job. We have lots of work to do. And so we're kind of working together to share the burden of the work that we need to get done. Um, And then I think there are instances where it's really more about um, trying to understand the instructional choices that you're making. Um, Particularly teachers talk about when faced with something, let's say like a lesson that went really poorly or, you know, in their data, they realize that, you know, their students are really struggling with something. And so a lot of teachers talk about the need to just go ask, you know, a more experienced colleague, um, I'm really struggling with this. What do you do in your classroom? And so I think that um, that more in-depth instructional talk where teachers try to understand the decisions that they and their colleagues make, um, think about what supports their students' learning, that's kind of the most impactful type of collaboration, um, at least from what I've seen and what teachers have kind of shared with me about what really helps them um, kind of hone their practice. Susan, I know you have a, written a brief with the Tennessee Education Research Alliance about some of the survey findings. Can you talk us through some of the high-level findings from that brief? So um, on the survey, we asked teachers a number of different things about their professional learning. I think it's worth noting that, you know, this is very complex. Teachers do a lot of different things. There's a lot of nuance to what they do. And so what we can learn on the survey is going to be just kind of a rough proxy for what teachers are experiencing. Um, but we asked teachers about how much time to- about how much time they're spending on a variety of different professional learning activities. And that was kind of put into three broad categories, one around kind of more formal professional development, one around these one-on-one relationships, so things like mentoring and coaching, and then the third around more team-based collaboration. And so overall, um, on average, the teachers who responded to these questions on the survey indicated they're spending um, about 50 hours a year 
um, on these three types of professional learning, but that varied a lot. And so there are some teachers who are spending, you know, over 100 hours a year. So that's more than two hours a week. Um, We all know that teachers have very limited time. So this would suggest that this is something that on average teachers are investing time in and schools are investing time in. Um, But there still is quite a large variation in terms of what teachers report um, about how frequently they're doing, the types of activities they're doing, um, and how helpful those activities are. So kind of the um, final part um, that we asked teachers to report on is whether these specific activities supported them in making instructional decisions in their classroom. And so um, overall, um, as might be expected, what we found is that teachers um, report that activities that are more kind of um, specifically focused on their own needs, so like self-selected professional development or going and working one-on-one with another teacher or a leader, those are the sorts of activities that teachers rated as the most helpful, um, likely because it was um, activities that they really could focus in on things that they felt like they needed. So um, we're going to talk with Robin McClellan, who is a supervisor in Sullivan County. And one of the things that they've been doing is some work around instructional materials and uh, training for teachers around instructional materials with a group of teachers actually leading that work. Mm -hmm. From what you've uh, learned with your analysis of the survey, with other analyses you've done, do you have any thoughts about structures um, and systems at the district level and what that might mean for the state? Yeah, So I think there's a couple of kind of big takeaways from the broader research on professional learning, not just kind of this specific research. Um, But I think the kind of findings from Tennessee really reinforce this, um, is that uh, things that are really embedded in teachers' kind of day-to-day work are often – Um, the things that teachers find most useful. Um, And so what that might mean for a district or for the state is trying to minimize kind of one-shot, one-time kind of professional development sessions. Um, So in my interviews where I've talked to teachers, um, one of the things that often comes up as professional learning that's not as effective is when they're just required to do something maybe on an in-service day or in the summer that perhaps is required of all teachers in their school or all teachers in their district. Um, So often these are things that by design, can't be tailored to their specific needs. Um, And so I think being really cautious about those sorts of one-size-fits-all, it makes a lot of sense why schools and districts do that. It's it's really hard um, to help support teachers. It takes a lot of time, it takes a lot of energy, and it takes a lot of resources. And so it makes sense that sometimes it's easier to kind of, you know, get an external consultant to come in. And those can be useful, um, but to be really thoughtful about that um, and try to identify ways that teachers have um, more to say about the types of learning that they're able to do. It strikes me that some of what you're talking about can kind of come back to teacher empowerment and teacher leadership, Especially, you know, I think what we're going to hear about from what's happening in Sullivan County. Um, And I I hope we'll actually have maybe a section on uh, the 10th period at some point dedicated to some of the research work happening around teacher leadership. But teachers feeling empowered to kind of speak up around what their needs actually are to their administrators, to their district leaders, and so that the opportunities or maybe the required professional learnings end up Mm -hmm. feeling really impactful and useful to them. Um, And to just bring it back to the research, Mm -hmm. the things that that are actually, you know, really part of their daily work. 
mean, I think that's why some of the materials work that's happening in Sullivan County has felt so useful to teachers is because focusing on professional learning around curriculum is really curriculum is their day to day work. Mm -hmm. So that means it's professional learning that is tied to their day to day planning, their day to day implementation of quality instruction. Mm -hmm. Um, But so, Susan, I just want to ask you one last question, um, which is kind of what's coming next? Um, We have just recently wrapped up the educator survey for 2019. Um, What are you looking forward to digging into to be able to say to state leaders, to district Mm -hmm. leaders, to school leaders and to teachers um, about, you know, the the landscape of professional learning in Tennessee? Mm So I'm really excited to see this. This is the second year that we've asked teachers to report on a fairly similar number of questions. And so it'll be a nice opportunity to look a little bit longitudinally, at least over two years, um, about how these patterns um, are holding um, if we look at especially like district-level averages or school-level averages. Um, But I think in particular, really interested in thinking more about teachers' time. I know that there's some more time questions on the survey this year um, and thinking more about how – like the extent to which teachers have time to really do this work – Um, And they have access to kind of what they need, the supports they need to do it. Um, So that's something in particular that I think will be interesting to see this year, Um, as well as just, you know, it's a great opportunity to hear from teachers about what's working for them and what's not. Um, So seeing kind of how, um, you know, that continues to look over time. Uh, Susan, this has been excellent. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, And we'll look forward to having you back on the 10th period again sometime. Thanks, Thanks, Susan. Thanks for having me. So now we're in the segment of the 10th period where that we call On the Spot, where we get in touch with an educator from the state of Tennessee and talk a little bit more about um, our particular topic. So today we're welcoming Robin McClellan from Sullivan County Schools. Robin is the supervisor of curriculum and instruction. And before we get too deep into the topic, Robin, we'd love to just hear a little bit about your background. What brought you to this work? Sure. So I began as a first, second, and third grade teacher for nine years. And then I led an elementary school, about 90% poverty. Uh, for the next 10 years, and this is beginning my fifth year in this position in curriculum and instruction. And it's definitely the best work of my career because I get to um, work with teachers continually, listen to their voice, and uh, try to do good things for kids through the lever of great teachers. And Robin, will you give our listeners a little bit of a sense of Sullivan County, how many schools, um, about how many students? uh... Sure. Sullivan County Schools has about 10,000 students, and we have um, 11 elementary, six middle schools, and four high schools. And to drive from the two schools that are furthest apart would take you about an hour. Oh, wow. So we cover a large geographical area. Have you been in Sullivan County your whole career? I have. That's fantastic. And I will end my career there as well. That's awesome. So tell us, um, one of the questions we started with is, what is a a professional learning experience that you have had yourself that you feel like it was a great experience? And um, if it was tailored to your own professional needs, or how did that happen? Sure. So I believe three years ago when we started the work as Lyft District in collaboration with SCORE and TNTP, the process over the last three years has been the greatest professional learning of my life for many reasons. Um, first of all, they, they valued our voice and they brought us together to solve a problem of practice, which was um, the literacy rate in Tennessee and then, of course, is reflected in the nation as well. Um, so they brought districts together and they talked about what are realistic vision for literacy instruction is, how do we 
provide equity for students. And so we came to the table and we looked at different resources for strong curriculum. We went to ed reports and made sure that those uh, curricula had been reviewed by teachers and educators. And then we have spent a three-year journey creating strategy, implementing high-quality curriculum, and then um, a really beautiful piece has been uh, building the capacity of teachers to lead one another in those teacher-leader roles, informal, informal. And so the Lyft District, it's not just Sullivan County participating in that work, right? That's right. There are several districts from across the state that participate in the Lyft Network. And um, now I have friends from across the state, like the Jared Miracles and uh, the Jill Ramseys and um, we were able to pick up the phone and call each other and rely on one another and, and help each other do the work. And it's the collaboration is beautiful. So for our listeners who aren't familiar with it, can you say a little bit more about Ed Reports and what Ed Reports is? Sure. So edreports.org is something I really wasn't familiar with until three years ago. And they take curricula and they run it through so many filters. Um, and they look at, um, does the curriculum use high quality texts? And does the curricula, is it usable for teachers and, and easily accessible? And so they review it for many content areas. The one I've really been diving into um, over the past three years has been ELA. And so they give you codes of red, yellow, and green. And so if it passes the first filter, then it gets a code green and it goes to the second filter. So we found that the past 14 to 20 years of reading materials that we've been providing to our teachers have not been of the quality that they needed and that the children deserved. So that's why we decided that we were had a state of urgency and needed to change. So I'm curious how this connects with professional learning here in Tennessee, and how have you been thinking about the materials work as tied to professional learning for teachers? So in my own professional learning, um, this work has built my own background knowledge about the uh, reading science and um, what do young children need to be able to break the code of the English language? How do we build background knowledge? So through that and through those strong uh, curricular materials that we've just been using and implementing over the last three years, we know, based on research, that you can't just throw curriculum on the table and then expect um, teachers to not be able to, they have to be able to grapple with it and collaborate and come together and solve problems. And so the structures that um, SCORE and TNTP have helped us put into place around professional learning have been so effective and um, it's been able to connect teachers from across that, you know, one hour radius. So basically we brought in 24 pilot teachers in the beginning and at three schools and the three schools had strong um, elementary leaders who definitely had a basis and a grounding in literacy. And so we, we let them come to the table and we honored their voice. We asked them to come to the table and honor their voice around what are the best instructional materials that we have of the, of the options. And then so they, we talked it through and they chose curriculum that was really strong and very grounded in research and reading science. So the beauty of the professional learning there has been those 24, we call them game changers because we decided they were going to change the game for kids and they have and they are. Um, we we built their capacity to understand the science and understand the materials and grapple and get messy. We talk about how perfectionism is the enemy of improvement. And so they, over the course of the first year, learned and we problem solved and we got together monthly. And then they would go back and grapple and get messy and learn, just like action researchers. And then they would come back to the table and be real with us and talk about problems of practice. So we would build the next month's learning based on what they needed and listening to that voice and honoring them as the most um, impactful lever in the classroom. 
So now in year two and year three, those Game Changer teachers have been able to roll that out to the other 120 teachers that are doing the work. And so they come together every other month. And the Game Changers, we build them to be able to be teachers of the work now. They've been the learners. Now they're the teachers. And they now are the um, people who provide professional learning. And so they do the same kinds of things. We ask for questions. We think about what are our next steps in the learning. And then they go back to our, out to the rest of our 120 teachers and build their capacity based on the first-year pilot teacher's learning. Um, I just left a meeting at a collaborative at, with SCORE and TNTP, and um, some of the district leaders and I were talking about how when uh, you talk about the art of teaching and then you talk about the science of teaching. So if the science of teaching is in place through strong instructional materials, the teacher's art is what are, um, adds the nuance and the care and the polishing to do what they need to do for children so they can focus on teaching and student learning. How is the 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 structure of your game changers uh, system of learning? How is that different than what you've done before in Sullivan County, or what you've experienced? And and what do you think then uh, the outcomes of that are? So I think when I was um, a principal for ten years, I always wanted to be able to provide teachers with differentiated professional learning. But um, the real the realistic picture of that, we know that's what's right, but. The realistic picture is I would try to get them into pods of what teachers said they needed. So if teachers needed help understanding how to build questions to to help children arrive at mastery of the standard, then I would work on that with the teachers. Really, they led each other because they know far more than I do. Um, I'm just the facilitator of the work. But So I tried to do small group work so that our teachers would have something that was meaningful and connected. The difference is it was still small chunks that weren't a continuum of learning now the work is we are begin and we are beginning and the first step is just really understanding and knowing the curriculum and how to um, implement it in their classrooms in the beginning especially with fidelity so that we can just learn it so then the next step is how do we take the art of our teaching and be able to polish and annotate these lessons to meet the needs of our students based on what we've seen in the first couple of years now i'm really proud to say that our teachers are stepping into core action two and three on the instructional practice guide that says who's doing who's owning the learning so who's taking on the cognitive lift of what's happening how do we know that they're showing mastery in both their words and in their written responses so it's just been a continuum of learning and then polishing and now we're really starting to grapple with um, making sure that our children are really receiving academic press have you taken a look at educator survey in your district and what have you seen over time and what might you expect to see this year? Um, I looked particularly at elementary and um, I, I saw that the schools who are who have been in year two or year three of implementation are now talking about they're in each other's classrooms, which I know across the state is they're saying that they're not able to go in and um, observe, co-observe lessons and, and give each other wonderings and noticings. Um, so I see that our teachers are saying they are in, in one another's classrooms. So we have to do that so that they can um, figure out how to um, support each other and, and build on the capacity of their peers. And then I also notice that they say that lots of our teachers, the majority are saying that the learning that they're getting is directly tied to standards and instruction and curriculum. So, um, we, we can, you know, like I said, it's it's the art that they have. And now we're just talking about the science of exactly what is the roadmap to get us to um, instruction that meets the demands of the standards and great texts that, that are 
uh, challenging to our kids and build this background knowledge. So I think the changes are being able to observe practice, collaborate, and then really receive professional learning grounded in the most important stuff, which is the what do they teach. And then they're able to um, make it meaningful and connected to what kids need. I have one uh, question for you around professional learning. More Being more focused on materials now, is there other types of professional learning that you feel like is phasing out in terms of what you had been doing in the past and now how you're aligning it more to materials? So I'm not a strategic thinker. I'm a global thinker. I love creative processes, but I'm, I'm, it's, I've had to grow in getting it down to a linear process. So I think before it was, I guess I always say the word willy-nilly, before it was just um, good offerings, but nothing was connected. Nothing was grounded in what teachers need in pedagogy or um, how to implement a certain strategy or depth of understanding of the standards or have we risen to the higher expectations of the standards. So now, because it is such a strategic plan grounded in our literacy vision in our district, um, it's it's easier to be able to be strategic and move down toward the next step continually, though, listening to the voice of teachers, because if they're not ready for the next step or if they say this is a sidestep that we need to be able to get to the next step. So I believe in listening to teachers' voice, but then the linear um, nature of a strategic plan it keeps me focused. And um, it can be a lonely world sometimes. And so um, the work that um, a few of us are doing with CurriculumMatters.org is just pulling together district leaders and school leaders who want to say, let's be real. And we talk about unfinished learning around literacy. Let's be real. Let's bring to the table the most important pieces that we need to build our foundation about the science of reading. And um, let's grapple and let's let's hash it out and let's help each other um, figure out where to pour our foundation and then we can, I always say, if you pour the footers with the curriculum, the teachers will build the house. Well, if you pour the footers with the research and the right practices and the right area of focus, when you talk about um, building readers, that's where you can you can start to build the house. So I've spent the last three years around my very transparently, very truthfully, unfinished learning. And um, it's just fun to be real and, and admit that we're all a work in progress and that we all are learners and um the teachers far surpass providing me with joy and encouragement and drive. And, of course, they trickle right down to the children, which is why we all do the work. Um, they provide more to me tenfold than I ever provide to them. Robin, thank you so much for being real with us yeah. <laughs> and for the work that you do. And we'll be excited, actually, to check back in and see how the house has grown over time um, in the next few years as you all keep doing the work you're doing. Thanks so much for Thanks the time. Thanks so much. Thanks for being here. So next up, we have Elizabeth Alves, who's an assistant commissioner at the Tennessee Department of Education with us to chat a little bit more about how the department is thinking about professional learning. So Elizabeth, thank you so much for being here today. And before we get started, I would love for you to just describe for our listeners a little bit about your background in education. Okay, great. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having me here today. Um, And I have been a public school educator for about 30 years now. Lots of uh, years spent in the classroom and uh, time as an administrator, both at the school and district level. Most recently, before joining the department, I was the uh, chief academic officer for the Knox County Schools, and I've been with the department now for about two and a half years, uh, working with the Division of Teaching and Learning. 
So, Elizabeth, the question, we always sort of start with a question for all of our guests that's similar. And we've been asking folks today if you could describe what you feel like was a great professional learning experience for you and, and how that experience was sort of tailored to your own needs at the time. Well, um, since I have been in education a long time, um, I think I have participated in a whole range of professional development opportunities. Um, when I think about those that have been most impactful uh, in my career, I think um, it has varied a little bit um, in terms of where I was professionally and what my needs were at that particular point in time. For example, when I was an early career teacher, um, I found professional development in that built my content knowledge and my instructional expertise probably to be the most um, impactful at that time. I think um, as I grew in experience, I think it was the opportunities to, for peer exchange to learn um, from my colleagues, to observe in other classrooms, um, and, and have that opportunity to um, develop a shared experience um, with others who were engaged in similar work, I think, um, you know, became more impactful as I, you know, progressed in my experience um, along the way. Yeah. Elizabeth, thanks for sharing about that. I do think that that's also something that, you know, your experience is something we see reflected in our survey data um, about teachers liking things that are really tied um, to things that feel useful to them in in their classrooms. Um, I wanted to ask you next a little bit about what the department has been focusing on around professional learning. So we've actually had in previous episodes where we've talked about Read to Be Ready and the department's large-scale coaching initiative. Um, The department, I know, also does stand standards, trainings, um, and uh, even principal professional learning or teacher leadership networks. But I'm just curious, what has have you learned from these initiatives about how educators can take their learning back to classrooms to impact student learning? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, from all of of those initiatives and efforts that you've um, listed, I think The places that we have seen the greatest uptake and greatest transfer of new learning into classroom practice have been those efforts that have been very contextualized to to what teachers are teaching and the needs that they have in particular. So, for example, in our Read to Be Ready work, um, we found that our teachers, our early grades literacy teachers, were very committed Uh, to making changes in instructional practice, and that when we provided them with new learning in small chunks of of time and gave them opportunities to practice and learn uh, with a coach by their side and with opportunities to network and um, collaborate with with other colleagues engaged uh, in similar work, that we actually saw that change in practice that that we hope that professional development um, generates. So I think, you know, again, where we see that opportunity where it's not just I come to a workshop um, and learn something new, but I actually have the opportunity to take that learning to my classroom in a meaningful way to practice and apply that learning, to have a colleague or a coach or others 
that helped me to reflect on that practice and refine um, through, you know, continuous improvement um, opportunities. I think that's when we've seen um, teachers really reflect and respond um, positively uh, in terms of, you know, the, the professional development, how they viewed or, or thought about those professional development opportunities. Um, and again, I think the, that the survey data that we have from teachers really highlights that um, when it, they feel that these opportunities are connected to their daily work, when it's meeting their particular needs, um, when it's very contextualized um, to them, is when they feel the most invested um, in their learning and, you know, are most inclined then to actually um, incorporate that, those, um, you know, that learning into their daily instruction. So the trick really is figuring out what it is that is, you know, going to feel uh, important to teachers, because that could be different Mm -hmm. depending upon the teachers. But one thing, you know, that is, you know, something that impacts every teacher is the curriculum and materials that they're using in their classrooms. And we mentioned when we talked to Robin that there's a, you know, a new study out um, that talked about teachers getting about an average of five to six days of professional learning during the year, but only one of those days being about um, tied to their curriculum. So Mm -hmm. I'm just curious, um, I know the department has been launching into a more strategic um, approach around how we think about curriculum and materials and aligned Mm -hmm. professional learning. And I'd love for you just to talk a little bit about how the state is thinking about that. So um, we know that in in the past, when um, a new textbook adoption um, came around, that teachers had a very um, basic overview of those new materials um, without really a lot of depth or opportunity for them to be supported as they learned um, to teach those materials well. And so as we enter into um, an upcoming ELA adoption, we are really trying to think very strategically about what is the type of professional development that all teachers will need um, to understand the materials, um, the new materials that they may have, and then what is that ongoing job-embedded support that teachers will need as they learn these materials um, in order to teach them to make skillful decisions about how to adjust those materials to meet the specific needs of the students in their classrooms, in their districts. Um, we want to make sure that um, we that all children across the state of Tennessee have access to high-quality uh, curriculum and a, a strong um, instruction across the state, and we believe that materials are one way to support that, um, but we also know that um, the needs are different across the state and that teachers need support in how to implement those materials well in their particular classroom, in their particular school. I'm curious, Elizabeth, as you think about this and you're thinking about, um, you know, sort of like the examples that Robin gave us in Sullivan County, what are the things you think need to happen at the district level from a systems perspective? And what's the role of the state in helping to think about how we organize both as a state and at districts and in schools Mm -hmm. to get the type of professional learning we need? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, we've already actually begun some of that work. I think, you know, fundamentally, uh, we want to make sure that district leaders understand the importance of materials and that, you know, curriculum development um, 
shouldn't be the responsibility of a classroom teacher. You know, our educator survey um, shows us the, that teachers are spending approximately four and a half hours or more each week sourcing materials for daily instruction. When that time could be spent, better spent, um, you know, really focusing on thinking about how to teach the curriculum that they have well and ensure that they're meeting the needs of all the diverse learners in their classrooms. So, you know, we want to fundamentally make sure that districts understand um, what, what high-quality materials look like, um, why they are important, and why they need to support teachers um, to utilize them well. And so we are working with district teams currently to help them think through what is the process for, um, first of all, for their own local adoption? You know, what are their district priorities considering their, their community needs? Um, and then thinking about the systems and structures that need to be put in place um, at both the district and the school level um, to provide for that job and embedded support that teachers will need. So, you know, do they have instructional coaches that can support teachers in this work? Do they have time for common planning in their master schedules so that teachers have that opportunity to collaborate and share and learn uh, with each other? Um, so we're really trying to think about um, do they have access to um, professional development providers um, that have experience and expertise in supporting this work. Um, because we know as a state that, you know, there is some work that we can do, um, you know, to, to provide some initial training and, and um, you know, that type of professional development, you know, early on in the process. But at the, as, as teachers engage in this work, you know, the support that they need is at the local level. And so it is incumbent upon the district to make sure that they have provided um, the resources um, and the materials and time that teachers need um, to do this work well. Elizabeth, this has been a really um, great conversation and informative about both what you all have done and, and where you're headed. And so grateful for the work that you do every day and for your time here today. Oh, thank you guys so much. I appreciate you as well. Thanks, Elizabeth. Thank you. So, Laura, that brings us to the end of the ninth episode of the 10th period. Um, and as we normally do with our wrap-up, uh, we'll talk a little bit about things that we both took away. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a chance and go first on this one today. You know, for me, it's actually um, part of, I think I took away two big things. Um, one is around sort of what I started with in terms of my own professional learning experience that I feel like I heard throughout the course of uh, of our conversation. Susan often talks about and, you know, talks about um, sort of the the work that everyone does together, that collaboration is really important. So we've talked a lot about people feeling like they're getting professional learning tailored to their needs, but also this idea that you have to actually work in concert with other people who are, as Robin said, grappling with the same stuff that you're grappling with. And I think Elizabeth talked about it as well from her experience both as a teacher and then um, talking about the networks of folks working together. So I think there's there's something to me about this idea of networks and working together and collaboration at all levels um, and that – Learning experiences continue to happen over time, so I think both Elizabeth um, and Robin talked about that. It leads me to two thoughts about where we're headed at Tara. Um, one is, 
you know, what are the systems? Elizabeth talked at the end there about um, a bunch of ways to think about how districts are organizing their structures, instructional coaches, um, the types of learning opportunities they have. And, and we're doing some research now and hope to have out, um, you know, maybe by fall, some things around what is it that districts are how are districts organized best to provide for really helpful professional learning? I hope we can learn more about that. Um, and then I think over time, too, this issue of curriculum is clearly very important, and, and it's an opportunity to look at how a good rollout of something happens from the state level to districts to teachers and schools, and so I hope we're able to study some of that as well. What are your takeaways? Well, I, I, I agree with your takeaways, and I, I'm looking forward to the findings of some of that uh, professional learning field work that Tara's in the middle of right now. For me, I'm thinking back to Susan's findings around just the amount of time that teachers are spending getting professional learning. Teachers are busy people. They have a lot of demands on their times, on their time, and I feel like if, if we're going to take them and ask them to engage in professional learning, we need to do everything that we can to make sure that that professional learning feels worthwhile. I know that in my own job, I don't like to leave, you know, the work unless I feel like I'm leaving it to attend something that is going to make me better at my job. And we need to make sure that we're taking that same lens to thinking about professional learning for teachers. Um, but because really, when I think about it, you know, you can get people in who, uh, who are good teachers, or you can help them grow to be, you know, even good and even better teachers through quality professional learning. Um, so continuing to kind of reevaluate and take this like Robin and talked about making sure that there's this stra- strategic approach to professional learning and making sure that we're not just thinking, oh, this is a good thing. This is a good professional learning. But how is this connected to materials, to standards, to assessment, to students' needs, to the realities of this teacher's classroom um, is is really critical and important. Um, so that that's, those are some of the things that I'm thinking about today. But I'm also thinking about um, – next ep- and upcoming episodes of the 10th period that I'm excited about. Um, the next episode will be the 10th episode. Of Laura, very excited <laughs> the to say. 10th period. The 10th episode <laughs> of the 10th period I feel like coming it, up next. I, I feel like it should be some sort of special edition. Um, you know, uh, we've got a, uh, we are in the, in the middle of our Tennessee Educator Survey right now for 2019. So hopefully in the upcoming months, we'll have some findings to share, um, maybe about professional learning and some other topics. Um, hopefully we can have have on some of our researchers who are looking at how mentoring can improve the quality of beginning teachers. Um, uh, We are doing some work right now at the department around teacher retention across um, different content areas and across different contexts, rural, urban, uh, things like that. Um, And then I hope that we'll even have the opportunity to have our new commissioner of education, Penny Schwinn, um, uh, on the podcast at some point to talk about her vision as um, she is engaging in this work and for education in Tennessee. Lots of exciting things upcoming on the 10th period as we head into our uh, second decade of podcasts (laughs) uh, from a numbers perspective. We really appreciate everybody who's taking the time to listen to us. Um, Those of you who, uh, you know, are ed research geeks or who are just working in the field and are interested to hear about just the latest uh, research that's happening in Tennessee. We really appreciate you guys for listening. Um, And please share the podcast with others um, who you think might uh, enjoy listening to Aaron and me chat about ed research. Thanks so much for joining us. Look forward to seeing you on the next episode of The Tenth Period. Mm